Hey there. First, a huge thank you to everyone who responded to our call out yesterday. And there's still time to share your story with us. We're working on an upcoming series that looks at how the pandemic is impacting American families and our relationships. And if you're a parent like me, we'd love to hear about your pandemic challenges, you know, childcare, school, your own mental health. Got any personal advice or solutions you want to share? And even if you don't have kids, we want to know how the pandemic is affecting your romantic relationships, your marriage, your dating life. Did you have a pandemic wedding? We would really love to hear about it. Use your phone to record a voice memo and send it to us at applenewstoday at apple.com. That's applenewstoday, all one word, at apple.com. Oh, and make sure you say your name and tell us where you're from. We could use your recording on one of our upcoming shows. And thanks. Good morning. It's Friday, November 13th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. President-elect Joe Biden and his team are moving forward with their transition planning, and they're doing this despite efforts by the Trump administration to make the process difficult. Earlier this week on Apple News Today, we spoke about when past transitions between administrations were unintentionally delayed or drawn out. Biden, well, he knows how the Washington machine works. And the Washington Post reports his decades of experience in government makes him uniquely prepared to navigate these challenging waters. But it still may not be easy. Not only does Biden have all of that experience, he's also surrounding himself with other people, policy experts who've got years of knowledge. He's already staffed up his transition team with former government officials, including many people from the Obama administration, people who left government just a few years ago. So typically, outgoing administrations pass off vital information, but the Trump administration is not doing that. So the Biden team is talking to people who've recently left senior positions at federal agencies. They're doing this as a way of catching up on ongoing projects, personnel, and budgets. They're also turning to the hundreds of former senior civil servants appointed under Trump who either left or were forced out of government. Even though Trump keeps denying the election results, The Washington Post reports that within the president's inner circle, there's pretty widespread acknowledgement that Trump lost and that his attempts to change the results are all dead ends. Several Republican senators, including Senator Chuck Grassley and Senator Lindsey Graham, told CNN that Joe Biden should start getting classified intelligence briefings. And Senator James Lankford took it a step further and said that if Biden doesn't start receiving the briefings by today, by Friday, he will step in and intervene. Karl Rove wrote in an opinion piece in The Wall Street Journal this week, the president should, quote, do his part to unite the country by leading a peaceful transition and letting grievances go. Joe Biden won the presidency, but the Democratic Party fell far short of its goals. It was expecting to do a lot better in down-ballot races, and those losses are now causing a lot of finger-pointing within the party. Moderate Democrats blame the progressive wing of the party. According to Politico, House Majority Whip James Clyburn reportedly said on a conference call last week, 
Advocating for policies like Medicare for All or defunding the police will ruin the party's chances of winning the upcoming special elections for Georgia's two Senate seats. But the progressives are pointing the finger right back, saying establishment Democrats failed to recognize that progressive policies are resonating with many voters, especially young people. Rashida Tlaib, who won re-election last week, said she's not going to be silenced. She told Politico, quote, We're not interested in unity that asks people to sacrifice their freedom and their rights any longer. And Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez also pushed back against the notion that progressive ideas are turning voters away from the party. In an interview with The New York Times this week, she claims every single candidate in a swing district who co-sponsored Medicare for All kept their seats. She also tells Vanity Fair her squad is only going to keep growing. This clash is noticeably between the young and the old faces of the party. Writing for Politico, John Harris points out that Democratic leaders are all in their 70s and 80s, and they're not yet ready to hand over the reins to the next generation. According to Harris, the future of Democratic leadership needs to find a way to unite progressives like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and centrists who've proven that they can still win races in swing districts. But Harris notes, right now, within the party, there is no attempt to build bridges between the outgoing generation and the incoming one. On April 19th, the chairman of the board of Triumph Foods, the nation's second largest pork processing plant, shared a coronavirus conspiracy theory video on his Facebook page. The video falsely claimed that COVID-19 was less deadly than the seasonal flu, that 5G cell towers were to blame, and that CDC guidelines to stay six feet apart were not worth following. The next day, the Missouri pork processing plant had its first positive case of COVID-19. Within days, more cases. Within weeks, nearly 500 Triumph Food employees, roughly a fifth of its workforce, tested positive. So far, four workers have died. USA Today and the Midwest Center for Investigative Reporting spent five months looking into the outbreak at Triumph. They interviewed more than a dozen current and former workers and reviewed thousands of pages of government records. Their reporters found a pattern of disregard and neglect for the health and well-being of the plant's workers. Here are four key takeaways from their joint investigation. Triumph didn't require a face mask for weeks after the CDC recommended the measure. It was reportedly slow to start screening sick employees. It allegedly offered incentives for employees to come to work even as more and more people got sick. And even after hundreds of people were infected, the factory still kept its doors open. We have heard this pattern emerge at meat and poultry processing plants across the country. And this reporting takes us deep into the stories of workers at Triumph and their families who say that they tried to raise the alarm early on. They called the town's health director and complained that people were working elbow to elbow and that workers were coming in with a fever, coughing on each other and on the packaging. But the health director never investigated. And state health officials never shut down the plan. Missouri economic and agricultural officials pushed to keep the plan open. And then, by the end of April, President Trump signed an executive order declaring meatpacking plants, quote, critical infrastructure. To justify its decision to stay open... Triumph pointed to that executive order. 
USA Today reached out to Triumph's top executives, but they declined interviews. The company did provide a statement saying it took steps to keep workers safe and spent $7 million on providing personal protective equipment, installing plastic barriers, and giving two weeks' pay to people who had to isolate. One worker who got sick spoke to a reporter back in July from his hospital bed. Bernardo Serpa said, The plant thinks, quote, workers are like dogs, and that if the workers quit, the plant will simply get new ones. After spending nearly four months in the hospital, Serpa died. OSHA, which is the federal agency that investigates workplace safety and health, opened up four investigations into the deaths at Triumph, including Serpa's. It recently concluded that Serpa's death was not related to work or COVID-19. It hasn't yet ruled on the other three cases. Thanksgiving is less than two weeks away, which means time is running out to make plans for the holiday. Vox offers some questions to think through as you decide what you're going to do. First of all, if you're planning to get together with family or friends during the holiday, yesterday was the day you should have started quarantining. And if you can't take those precautions, Vox says maybe think about a remote Thanksgiving or hold it outdoors with social distancing. Vox also says if you're going to gather, consider excluding family members who are at high risk for COVID-19. And if you're in a place with high positivity rates or with guests who might be coming from COVID-19 hotspots, you might want to postpone an in-person gathering. But if you do want to meet up with your friends and family in person, make sure everyone is on the same page about reducing risk. So everyone agrees, if someone tests positive for COVID-19 within two weeks of your gathering, they will tell the group about the diagnosis so everyone can quarantine and get tested. NBC News spoke with a few people who've decided to pivot away from tradition this year and choose safer options. Linnell Auburn in California says she plans to make a large meal and then drop off the leftovers at the homes of her friends and family. Michelle Stansbury in San Diego is planning to host a bring-your-own-Thanksgiving picnic. She says she's in Southern California, so the weather's still nice enough to be outdoors. Austin Barley in Arizona says that one of his family's traditions at Thanksgiving is to play football together. So instead, this year, they're going to play football together virtually on Madden NFL. You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. Have a great weekend. We'll talk with you again on Monday. Monday. 